Chapter 21 All eyes, Matthew repeated, staring hard into the fire. He rose from his chair and turned to Edward. I must know who was spreading these false stories. Edward hesitated. To his surprise, he saw that Matthew's entire body was trembling. The door burst open and Mary entered, her face flushed, her expression troubled. Father, I must speak to you. I... Seeing his daughter, Matthew fell back into his chair, uttering a low, mournful sigh. He covered his face with his hands. Mary, poor Mary, he muttered to himself. Will he kill you too, before this is over? Father, what are you saying? Mary demanded, still in the doorway. Matthew remained with his face hidden behind his hands. When he finally looked up, he had tears in his eyes. Edward, he said in a whisper, the stories are true. Edward cried out in shock. No, Uncle Matthew, please, do not tell me this. I must, Matthew choked out. I must. I cannot carry on with my lies. Seeing Mary made me realize it is time to finally tell the truth. We are all in too much danger. Mary took a few steps into the room. What are you saying? she demanded of her father. She turned to Edward. Cousin, what are you talking about? Edward stared at her in stunned silence. An innocent girl, a girl I loved, died because of my father, he gave a pained sob, and I condemned her as much as my father did. Slumped at the table, Matthew suddenly looked very old. His jowls sagged. All the life seemed to drain from his eyes. Your father wanted the best for you, Edward. The best, Edward cried bitterly. You never told me why we left Wickham. My father never gave me a choice. Yes, Matthew insisted, avoiding Edward's accusing stare. He and I both wanted to make sure you never experienced the poverty we experienced. But we went too far. You overheard my talk with Jeremy, Mary accused Edward. Edward nodded. Yes, and I came directly here, to confront your father, to learn. The stories are all true, Mary cried shrilly, raising her hands to her cheeks. I am afraid they are, her father confessed sadly. Poor Susanna Good, how I wronged her, Edward said, swallowing hard. You and Uncle Benjamin burned an innocent woman and girl, Mary demanded, her eyes burning into her father's. Matthew turned away. It was a long time ago, before you were born, he told Mary weakly. And now William Good has had his revenge, Edward said in a trembling low voice. He has murdered my wife and my father. Matthew rose to his feet, his face bright red, his hands shaking. We will make him pay, he shouted angrily. No, Edward and Mary shouted in unison. We are even now, Edward cried passionately. We will make peace with the goods. Peace, Matthew protested heatedly. Peace. Edward, have you lost your senses? He murdered Rebecca and Benjamin. We will make peace, Edward insisted, narrowing his eyes at his uncle, his features set in firm determination. Jeremy Good and I are in love, Mary blurted out. The farmhand? Matthew cried. The farmhand? Is it good? Jeremy is William's son, Mary told him, and we wish to marry. No, never, Matthew declared, pounding his fist on the table, sending papers flying to the floor. Yes, Edward insisted. Yes, they will marry. The wounds between our families will be healed, and you, uncle, will offer your apology to William Good and his son. Matthew glared at them both. Then his gaze softened. He sighed wearily and shrugged under the heavy black morning coat. I will never apologize to a murderer, he muttered. You and Benjamin are also murderers, Mary cried. Her words stung Matthew. He closed his eyes. He was silent for a long while. Well, father, Mary demanded. We will heal the wounds, Matthew replied finally. I will apologize as you wish. You may marry William Good's son if you so desire. I do so desire, Mary replied quickly. 
This murderous feud will be ended, Edward said solemnly. The two families will no longer be enemies. Yes, Matthew agreed. When a week of mourning has passed, invite them both, William and Jeremy, to dinner. At that time, I will do what is necessary. I promise you both to end this bitter feud forever. Thank you, Father, Mary cried happily. Thank you, Uncle, Edward declared. It will be done, Matthew said softly. The week of mourning passed slowly for Mary. Sadness hovered low over the house and farm. Mary did her household chores and helped Constance care for Ezra. Ezra kept asking when his mother would return. He didn't seem able or willing to understand that she was never coming back. Edward remained at his house, buried in thoughts of the past, awash in regret, reliving the painful memories as if they had happened the day before, instead of eighteen years earlier. Matthew made an effort to do his work, but he seldom spoke to anyone in the house. His eyes remained empty, cold, focused far away. Dinners were eaten in uncomfortable silence. Mary found herself thinking of Jeremy. This sadness that covers the house like a dark curtain will lift when Jeremy and I are together, when Matthew makes his apology to William, and the two families are as one, she thought. And finally the evening arrived, a cool, clear evening with a hint of autumn in the air. Inside the house, the tangy aroma of a roasting goose floated through the rooms. Candles in a silver candelabra glowed in the center of the dining room table, which Mary and Constance had carefully laid out with the family's best dishes and serving utensils. Mary sat tensed, waiting for Jeremy and his father to arrive. Ezra tried to climb on Edward, but Edward impatiently pushed him off. Hands clasped behind his back, Matthew paced the floor, frowning. Constance remained in the kitchen, tending to the goose. Everyone in the family is so nervous and silent, Mary thought. And I am the most nervous of all. How difficult it will be for father to see William and Good after all these years. How difficult for them both. But how fortunate that Jeremy and I will be able to bring them together, to end the years of hatred. What a tragedy that Benjamin and Rebecca had to die before this horrible feud could end, Mary thought sadly. A loud knock on the door jarred Mary from her thoughts. She jumped to her feet and hurried across the room. Hello, Jeremy, she cried, pulling open the door. She gazed over his shoulder. Where is your father? Wearing a loose-fitting white wool shirt that was tied at the waist over black breeches, Jeremy stepped into the room, a fixed smile on his face. Good evening, Mary. He returned her greeting quietly, but did not answer her question. This is so wonderful, Mary thought, gazing at him. This is a dream come true. Jeremy is here, in my house. I'm so happy. Mary couldn't know that in two seconds' time, two clicks of the clock, her happiness would turn into unspeakable horror. Chapter 22 as Jeremy crossed the room to greet him, Matthew Fear raised the silver disc over his head and pointed it at Jeremy. Jeremy hesitated, his smile faded. Matthew called out the words on the back of the disc, Dominatio per malum! Jeremy's head exploded with a low pop. At first, no one was certain where the sound had come from. Mary was the first to realize that something horrible had happened. Jeremy's skull cracked open and the skin on his face blistered and peeled away. Pink brains bubbled up from his open skull. His face appeared to melt away, and another face pushed up from under the shattered skull. Another head appeared on Jeremy's body. The head of a white-haired man, his cheeks scarlet, his eyes brimming with hatred. William, good, Matthew declared, still holding the strange medallion above his head. Yes, it is I, William replied weakly. I almost stole your daughter from you, Matthew, but your powers are stronger than mine. Jeremy, Mary shrieked, finally finding her voice. 
Jeremy, Jeremy, where is my Jeremy? There is no Jeremy, her father told her. There never was a Jeremy daughter. It was William Good all along. He used his powers to make himself appear young. William Good glared across the candlelit room at Matthew, his hatred too strong for words. He raised a trembling hand to point an accusing finger at Matthew. Jeremy, Mary cried, her eyes darting frantically from face to face. Jeremy, where are you? Where is my Jeremy? Where have you hid him? Constance, help comfort Mary, Matthew ordered. But Constance remained rigid with terror against the wall. With an animal cry of rage, Matthew again pointed the amulet at the figure of William Good. Dominato per malum, he screamed. Power through evil! William's entire body trembled. His eyes rolled up in his head. The skin on his face began to crumble. He sank to his knees. His clothing appeared to fold over him as he crumbled, crumbled in seconds to gray powdery dust. Jeremy, Mary shrieked, racing back and forth across the room, her eyes wide and fearful. Jeremy, where is my Jeremy? As Matthew stared down at the pile of dust under the crumpled clothing, a triumphant smile crossed his face. He tossed back his head, opened his mouth wide, and began to laugh. A loud, gleeful laugh. Jeremy? Where is Jeremy? Mary demanded. Where did the man go? Ezra asked Edward. His eyes wide with horror. Edward grabbed Ezra up into his arms and held him pressed tight against his chest. Matthew laughed louder, joyful tears pouring down his face. Stop laughing, Matthew, Constance screamed, running over to him. Stop it! Matthew laughed even harder. Where is Jeremy? Where is he hiding? Mary cried. Holding Ezra over his shoulder, Edward grabbed Mary's hand. Come on, he urged her firmly. What? I cannot go without Jeremy, Mary replied, gazing at Edward with dazed, unseeing eyes. Come on, Mary, Edward tugged her hand. We have to leave. We have to get out of here. Holding his bulging sides, Matthew roared with laughter. Stop laughing, please, Matthew, his wife pleaded. Matthew laughed harder. Constance began pounding her fists on his chest. Stop laughing, stop laughing. Matthew, can you not stop? Mary, come on. Edward pulled Mary to the door. Ezra, clinging to his father's shoulder, began to cry. Edward pulled Mary out the door into the cool night. Jeremy? Is Jeremy coming with us? Mary demanded. No, Edward told her. Come with me. We have to leave this farm. Tonight. He pulled her into the darkness. In the house, Constance continued to plead with her husband. Matthew, stop laughing. Stop. Can you stop? Can you stop now? Despite his wife's desperate pleas, Matthew continued to laugh, his round face bright scarlet, his enormous stomach heaving, his mouth gaping open. He laughed and laughed, loud, helpless laughter. Maddened by his triumph, Matthew would laugh without stop for the rest of his life. Part 3 Western Pennsylvania Wilderness, 1725 Chapter 23 Ezra Fear dug his boot heels into the horse's sides and urged the old mare on. Low branches and shrubs brushed against his worn leather breeches. Ezra kept his eyes straight ahead. Twenty-one now, a young, slender man. Ezra had his mother's straight black hair and broad forehead and his father's thoughtful eyes. As he rode through the thick brush, Ezra thought of his father and his Aunt Mary, and his bitterness grew. My poor father. He tried so hard to keep us alive in this lonely wilderness. He worked so hard to keep a roof over our heads and food in our mouths. But he was never the same after that strange night, my last night at Great Uncle Matthew's farm. Ezra remembered that night as one might view a faded photograph. He could picture the young man Jeremy Good, 
Something bad had happened to Jeremy Good. Aunt Mary had started to scream. Great Uncle Matthew had started to laugh crazily. And then Edward, Ezra's father, had pulled Ezra away. Pulled him into the night, away from the farm, along with Aunt Mary. Ezra had been only six, but the frightening memories of that night haunted him still. As he rode through the thick woods to his great uncle Matthew's farm, the bitterness of the past fifteen years washed over him, blanketing him in darkness, despite the dappled gold of the bright sun filtering through the trees. Edward had died of exhaustion, still a young man. Ezra's Aunt Mary had never recovered her senses. She would go for weeks without speaking, then suddenly declare, I am a witch! I am a witch! Often Mary would stare out into the trees for hours on end. Is Jeremy coming? she would ask in a pitiful small voice. Is Jeremy coming soon? Ezra took care of his aunt after his father's death. Then, one horrible afternoon, he had found Mary floating face down in the pond behind the small cabin they had moved to. She had drowned herself. Now I am alone, Ezra thought, after burying Mary beneath her favorite beech tree. Thanks to William Good, I am alone in the world. The Goods cursed my family. The Goods ruined our lives. And now it is up to me to pay them back. But where to begin? Where can I find out if any Goods remain in the colonies? Ezra needed information to start his angry quest for revenge. Strapping his few possessions on his back and abandoning the small cabin in the woods, he returned now to Matthew's farm. As the farmhouse came into view, Ezra urged the exhausted horse on, kicking its sides, whipping its neck with the worn leather reins. I remember it, he thought, gazing at the two-story house in wonder and surprise. I remember that tool house at the edge of the garden, and that little house on the far side of the pasture. That was my house. His heart pounded with excitement. Are Matthew and Constance still here? he wondered. As he rode closer, his excitement faded to disappointment. The pasture was high with overgrown weeds. There were no cows or sheep in sight, no crops, no bales of wheat or straw. The garden was barren and weed-choked. Brambles and weeds stretched across the unplowed field. The farm hadn't been worked in years, Ezra could see. Did Matthew and Constance die? Did they abandon the farm after Father, Aunt Mary, and I left? Eager to solve the mystery, eager to gain the information he needed to begin his quest for revenge against the goods, Ezra jumped down from the horse. His legs ached from the long ride as he made his way to the front door. He took a deep breath and knocked. Silence. The whisper of the wind through the shimmering trees was the only reply. He knocked again. Is anyone home? His deep voice echoed strangely in the empty yard. Ezra pushed open the door. Stepping inside, he found the front room dark and cold, despite the warmth of the afternoon. A layer of dust had settled over the furniture, making everything appear ghostly and unreal. Anyone home? Ezra called loudly. The floorboards creaked under his boots. This room hasn't been used in years, he realized rubbing his hand over a table, making a long smear in the covering of dust. He had come so far, driven the horse so hard, he had been so eager to find his great-uncle, to speak to him, to hear the story of the goods, to learn where he could seek his revenge. He had come so far to find only dust and silence. No, Ezra cried, I will find what I need in this dark old house. He began a rapid determined search of all the rooms. The dining room was as gloomy and dust-covered as the sitting room. In the common room, Two field mice gazed at him from the barren hearth, as if he were intruding in their domain. Retracing his steps, Ezra moved quickly back toward Matthew's study, his features set in a disappointed frown. Perhaps Matthew left some papers, Ezra thought hopefully, a journal or diary, something that will tell me what I need to know. The wooden door had become warped. Ezra struggled to pull it open. It wouldn't budge. 
I cannot give up, he cried. I must see what lies behind this door. He sucked in a deep breath, grabbed the edge of the door, and pulled. With a burst of strength, he finally managed to slide it open part way. Breathing hard, he peered inside and gasped. Chapter 24 Ezra stared in amazement. At first he didn't believe his eyes. The opening was covered by a wall of stone? Ezra pulled the study door open a little farther. What on earth? he exclaimed, scratching his dark hair. The room had been completely walled in. Gaping in astonishment in the dim light, Ezra saw that the stones had been piled one on top of another, but not cemented together. What I am looking for must certainly be on the other side of this strange wall, he said. The sound of his voice reassured him. He reached for a stone and attempted to pull it away. It was then that he heard the scratching sound. He lowered his hands. The scratching continued, low and steady. Scratch, scratch, scratch. More field mice? Ezra wondered, listening hard. No. The sound is too regular, too steady. Scratch, scratch, scratch. What is making that sound? With renewed energy, Ezra began pulling the heavy stones out of the wall and tossing them down on the floor behind him. Dust flew as he worked, choking him, burning his eyes. The scratching grew louder. Did my great-uncle wall in his own study? Ezra wondered as he worked, pulling the stones away, heaving them behind him. Did he hide something in here that he didn't want anyone to find? He could see only darkness through the small opening he had made. With a quiet groan, he pulled away more stones. He worked feverishly for several minutes, thinking about what he might find on the other side, pulling away stone after stone. So much dust, he muttered, so many stones. Blinking, he resumed his back-breaking work and gasped. A grinning, decayed, brown skull leaned toward him from the darkness on the other side of the wall. Ezra tried to cry out, but he was too late. The skull slid toward him. The skeleton's brittle arm slid out through a hole in the wall, and his bony fingers closed around Ezra's throat. Chapter 25 Ezra shrieked and fell backward, stumbling over the stones strewn at his feet. He landed hard on his back. Stunned, he lay there for a moment, panting and staring up at the hole in the wall. The skeleton arm was draped over the wall, not moving. Still breathing hard, his back aching from his fall, Ezra climbed to his feet. He peered into the opening he had made. The skeleton had merely fallen forward, he realized. It hadn't really grabbed him. But what was that scratching sound? Had the skeleton been trying to break free? Ezra pushed the skeleton out of his way, raised himself up on his hands, and peered into the room too dark in there to see anything. Grumbling, he turned back into the room, his eyes searching the grayness, until he found a candle on a low table. Carrying the candle into the kitchen, he located a tinderbox near the hearth. It took several minutes of concentrated work, rubbing the kindling together in a hard, fast rhythm, to get a small fire started. Then Ezra was able to light the candle. It flared, then flickered out, then flared again. Eagerly, he returned to the dark, walled-in room, a second skeleton greeted him on his return. This skeleton was seated at a low work table. Ezra held the candle close to the grinning skull. From all the decay, he couldn't even tell which skeleton was his great-uncle Matthew and which was his great-aunt Constance. In the yellow candle glow, Ezra's eyes came to rest on a document on the table under the skeleton's bony hand. Pushing away from the hand, Ezra carefully lifted the brittle papers. Raising the candle close, he struggled to read the scrawled words on the page. It's a journal, he cried, written by Matthew Fear. Eagerly, Ezra read the words on the last page of the journal. 
I still laugh the hideous laugh without cease, the laughter of unending torture for me and for Constance. But the wall is in place, and at last we are safe from the goods and their treachery. Constance attempted to escape. The poor woman did not realize that the wall was all for our safety. I had to hit her over the head and render her senseless, so that I could put in place the final stones and secure our safety. We are now as safe as we were in the old days in Wickham, and will remain safe from the goods for the rest of our lives. The manuscript ended there. Ezra set it down gently. The goods, he thought. The goods have destroyed my family. I will not rest until I find them. The goods must pay for their evil. His heart pounding, Ezra took a step back. The skeleton seated at the table suddenly creaked and toppled backward. In the dim light, Ezra spied a strange object at its neck. Holding the candle in front of him, Ezra leaned over the skeleton and lifted a round silver amulet from around the neck bone. He stared at the tiny three-toed claw in the center of the disc. Words were inscribed on the back of the medallion, but Ezra could not make them out in the dim light. With a wistful sigh, Ezra slipped the cord around his neck and adjusted the amulet over his chest. My only inheritance, he said bitterly. A few moments later, he was out of the cold, dark house, walking into the sunshine, thinking about the village of Wickham, thinking about the goods, driven by his bitterness toward the sweetness of revenge. Village of Shadyside, 1900 Nora Good hunched over her writing paper, the candlelight flickering over the small desk. She lowered her pen and took a moment to stretch her aching fingers. So much to tell, she said, staring into the yellow flame. So much to write. This poor hand must hold out until my story is through. And the story was just beginning, Nora knew. The fears would continue to pay dearly for their betrayal of the goods. Blood would flow, the blood of both families, through decades. Yes, my frightening story has just begun, Nora whispered. It is a long and bitter tale and I must finish it before the night is over. Bending to her task, she picked up the pen, dipped it into the inkwell, and feverishly began to write again. To be continued. This has been a Nightfall Audiobooks production of The Fear Street Sagas, Book One, The Betrayal, by R. L. Stein. This is Chris again with Nightfall Audiobooks. Thank you for joining me for the beginning of Fear Street with the Fear Street Sagas, Book 1, The Betrayal by Arl Stein. So this is the beginning. This is the entire history behind the fears and the goods and what led to the Fear Mansion burning down. I haven't read this in about 20 years. It was really, really fun to revisit this story. I completely forgot about the ending where Jeremy's head explodes and William Good's head pushes up from his shoulders. When I read that again, I was like, oh yeah, that's right. The end of this novel was really, really gruesome. And it looks like William literally got the last laugh because as he curses Matthew Fear, Matthew uses his amulet and kills William. And then Matthew has to spend the rest of his days laughing. What a way to go. And then when Ezra comes back at the end there and, and he goes to look at his grand aunt and uncle's farm trying to find... Uh, any idea of where the fears might be so he can exact his revenge and he finds that Matthew's study is all boarded up and stuff and it's all blocked in that is gruesome what a way to go they must have starved themselves to death because Ezra didn't report any holes in their heads like smash each other in the heads with rocks or anything like that you know the, the body seemed to be intact 
This was really fun because of the historical reasons. And it was really neat to read it, you know, beginning in uh, the Wickham Bay Colony in Massachusetts. And then it moves to western Pennsylvania. Um, and then it's somewhere in Pennsylvania right now. I don't remember book two at all. I don't remember book three that much. I just know that book three ends with Nora Good somehow getting out of the Fear Mansion as it's on fire. And it burns down in 1900. So we have quite a bit of ground left to cover. I'm going to publish this. I'm going to do something else and take a break. And I'll get back to this trilogy sometime this year. But I don't have any plans for it uh, immediately. I am not recording this back to back to back like I did with 99 Fear Street. I just can't do it. I don't have the energy for that anymore. I don't want to burn out on this trilogy. This is one of my favorites. I don't want to hurt it. So thank you very much for listening. If you want to get in touch with me, you can write me an email at nightfallaudiobooks at gmail.com. I'm on YouTube at Nightfall Audiobooks. Feel free to like, comment, subscribe. If you want to know what's happening with Nightfall Audiobooks, an email is the only way to get in touch with me. Write me an email. See what's happening. If you have any requests, please do so. Make a request either email or leave me a comment on YouTube, and I'll see what I can do about fulfilling those for you. So. Thank you very much, and I will see you next time.